Welcome to the Center for Investment Excellence, a production of J.P. Morgan Asset Management. The Center for Investment Excellence is an audio podcast that provides educational insights across asset classes and investment themes. Today's episode is on private credit and has been recorded for institutional and professional investors. I'm David Lebowitz, global market strategist and host of the Center for Investment Excellence. With me today is Brad DeMong, co-chief investment officer and portfolio manager for the Global Special Situations team. Welcome to the Center for Investment Excellence. Thank you, David. Obviously, today we want to focus on what's happening in the private credit space broadly, talk a little bit about what you're seeing from an opportunity standpoint, but I thought it might be helpful to just kick off and kind of take stock of where we are now that the second quarter and the first half of 2019 is behind us. We have seen a bit of a slump in private credit fundraising in aggregate over the course of the first six months of this year. We actually saw $49 billion raised through the end of June. That's the slowest pace since 2016. Fewer funds are coming to market. Smaller funds are coming to market. That said, you are seeing dry powder fall. And so a lot of the capital that's been in the system already seems to be getting put to work. In general, investors continue to focus on direct lending. That's where the most dry powder is. And that's where the most investor interest is. And as we've talked about before, when we look at some of the risks across the private credit space broadly. We look at the change in the structure of the lending markets in aggregate, moving away from traditional banks towards non-bank companies and funds. That's led to an uptick in CovLite issuance. That's led to a number of late cycle behaviors such as EBITDA adjustments, so on and so forth, an uptick in Unitron issuance as well. And so it feels like while private credit has performed quite well up to this point, and people like the ability to forecast those cash flows since a decent chunk of it tends to come from income, there are some warning signs as the cycle matures that investors may want to be cognizant of. So with all that said, why don't we jump right in? You know, the S&P 500 touched 3,000 this week, a new all-time high. Can you describe to our listeners a little bit about what the credit market looks like in this environment? Obviously, people are looking to take more risk with the Fed having made a bit of a dovish pivot, but what are you seeing across credit markets and is the market set up well for what you do in terms of special situations and distressed investments at the current juncture? Thank you for that introduction. I think it's always important to take stock of generally kind of what have been some of the changes that we've seen in the market. You pointed out a few of those things yourself, which is we have seen a evolution and change from in particular the loan market has moved from being primarily a bank-driven market to now less than 10% of issuance actually makes its way into traditional banks, and it's actually become very institutionalized. Now, that has also coincided with a loosening of covenants and a growth overall in the markets. And what we've seen in the public markets is that you've seen actually almost a doubling of the overall markets, where pre-financial crisis, if we look at U.S. and European investment grade and high yield, that's doubled from about 6 to 11, going towards 12 trillion outstanding. We've also seen the private credit markets, and you highlighted the growth of direct lending as being a big driver of that, but that market has also shown prolific growth, estimates running anywhere from 10 to 15% compounded annual growth rate. And on a notional basis, because a lot of that strategy does employ leverage, we've actually seen close to a quadrupling of the debt outstanding. That has also coincided from a regulatory backdrop with the amount of liquidity being provided by broker-dealers and normal intermediaries of that market being curtailed significantly. And we've seen that come down from about 285 to $300 of liquidity pre-financial crisis to that number is running about 10% of that. And so what you have is you have a market that is primed for continued growth, 
as long as the environment stays the same. And yet we have as a backdrop, and this is your area of expertise, David, (laughs) but with regard to the Fed and some of the economic indicators, I think there still remains a lot of uncertainty out there. So what I guess I would say from that perspective is we have a bigger market with a lot less certainty regarding to the economic outlook. And that obviously makes a lot of people very interested in things like special situations that are not necessarily wed to the issuance market, but can take advantage of dislocation and actually capture some of that in their strategies. So obviously, with $12 trillion of opportunities, you're probably finding a number of them within the context of the fund. You know, I think you alluded to this, but I'd love to dive in with a bit more detail. It sounds like right now you're coming across more bespoke opportunities, given the uncertainty in the broader environment, because the business cycle hasn't turned, and so it's going to be more about these one-offs. Is that true? And do you think that that will shift over time? And how will that affect the return stream that the fund delivers in terms of the balance between income and capital appreciation? Well, I think you're absolutely right, which is if you look at what we do, we're not just a distress fund. We are a special situations fund. And that's an important distinction, which is if you look at the track record that my business partner, Leander Christofides, and I have enjoyed, it has been sort of a 60% non-distressed and about 40% distressed. So we are able to take advantage of the distressed opportunity set. And certainly we think that is something that's coming. And hopefully we'll touch on that a bit more later on. But Today's environment, as you said, is a low default environment. We are running with a sub 1.5% default rate in the U.S. and overall sub 2% globally. And so from the perspective of finding opportunities of distress in the market, it's not where we're focusing our time. We're focusing our time on actually partnering with companies to find, as you say, more of these bespoke transaction or solution-oriented situations where we can work with the company to solve complex problems. And the flexibility that a special situations fund has with regard to the solutions, being able to take longer duration, tolerate more illiquidity, or being able to actually just spend the time with the company to actually work with them to meet their business plan and structuring the debt because these are one-off and bespoke transactions, really has served us well. We're really excited about the capital that we've been deployed, but it definitely has been a little bit more weighted towards that bespoke area of the market rather than waiting around for the next default to happen. So obviously, talking a little bit about the types of investments is a good start, but I'd also love to hear a little bit about where you're finding the most opportunities. Are you finding things to do in the U.S., or is it more oriented towards Europe? From a geographic standpoint, where are you uncovering the best ops? Yeah, we touched upon this a little bit in your question. I'm not sure if I addressed it, but I'd like to circle back to it now, which is to say that in Europe, actually, from a current market backdrop environment, I think it's worth highlighting the fact that we're still dealing with some of the legacy issues of the financial crisis. The current estimates for bank exposure that falls into the NPL or non-performing loan category ranges between 2.1 and 2.3 trillion outstanding. That's still a lot of debt that's out there that has to be dealt with on the bank's balance sheet. And so what we're seeing is that the European banks, and actually they're still struggling and coping with some of their NPL problems. And despite the fact that they're actually selling on a regular basis, there's a replenishment that's taking place, also driven by the regulatory backdrop in Europe. Last year, an accounting change, IRFS 9, was a big driver of that, where more active provisioning means that despite banks continuing to sell, you're still seeing that number still hang in there and remain stubbornly above the $2 trillion mark. That means that From our perspective, we have found more opportunities in Europe. We believe that we're well-suited given our experience. We've invested in 32 different jurisdictions. Our team is based in London. On the ground, we have language speakers. And that allows us to have access to a number of these dialogues with companies 
that are still struggling to find regular way financing. And that's been sort of a theme that we've seen in some of our first capital deployments when we've been looking at situations where we can help those companies. And many times they're very good companies, but because of quirks within either a regulatory environment or their specific market, they're having trouble getting access to capital in the way that makes sense for their business plan. Interesting. So finding more bespoke opportunities, finding things to do in Europe. I want to zoom out for a second. And you know, you and I have had many conversations about the business cycle. And I think your response is usually, well, David, that's your area of expertise. So while the business cycle doesn't play the same role for your strategy as it might for others, I'd love to talk a little bit about what you're seeing in the conversations you're having. Talk a little bit about investor appetite for private credit. Are they focusing more on special situations? Are you still hearing that people are embracing kind of plain vanilla direct lending? What are you seeing on the ground as you go out and talk about what you're doing in the fund? I think there's been a lot of interest today in special situations. And if I look at the dialogue that we've been having, it's been coming from two different areas. And some investors make their investment in special situations out of a private equity portfolio allocation, and some make it out of a private credit, as you've highlighted. Both of those markets, private credit and private equity, have enjoyed robust growth, and that shows up in the multiples. We see today we're at all-time highs for private equity acquisition multiples, north of 11 times, and we're also at all-time highs for the leverage attachment point in the overall market for the debt providers. And so I think what you're seeing is some fatigue in both of those allocators' decisions with regard to the asset class and overlay of concern with regard to the economic indicators and interpreting where we go from here. I mean, bottom line, we are at the end of the longest expansionary period in economic history. Typically, economic cycles last somewhere between five and seven years, and this one is north of 10 years. And so from our perspective... I think it makes sense that a lot of people are interested in having a discussion about something that is more focused, particularly in the private credit space, to take advantage of perhaps some market dislocation. Very simply, David, if you are participating in some of the direct lending or primary allocation products, very good products. I think those are products that are around and here to stay. But nonetheless, factually, you are allocating at 100 cents on the dollar. And bond math would dictate that you may incur some mark-to-market hits. And I think that's something that a lot of managers are focused on and is driving the conversation towards special situations. I actually think that that's a perfect point to wrap up on. You know, not all funds are created equal. Obviously, manager selection is of the utmost importance within the alternative space. And that's something we highlight on page five of our guide to alternatives. So with manager selection playing such a significant role, the fact that we are late cycle to your point, you know, if you're in the primary markets today, you're basically going in at 100 cents on the dollar. If you had to leave our listeners with one thing to look for as they evaluate managers in this asset class, what do you think it would be? What's the one thing that you would keep an eye on when allocating to this space? I think it's natural that we're going to continue to see some dispersion. I mean, overall, as a general statement, and maybe just to tie together a lot of themes that we've talked about today, Moody's has revised their average recovery rates for first liens down. And so first lien loans historically were expected to receive a average recovery rate of about 77 cents. And they have indicated that they think in the next downturn, that number will be more like 61 cents. It's even harsher for second lien recoveries, which has moved from sort of an average of 43 cents down to 14 cents. So that's a little bit of a synopsis as far as what the rating agencies are saying with regard to some of the impacts of the things that you and I have been talking about for the last few minutes could have as we go forward. Now, with regard to the manager selection, I think 
it's important to remember that you want to have a manager that has been in the seat and worked with the same team for a long time. And I think when we talk to people, that's one of the things that resonates in our favor is that we've enjoyed working with the same group of people through the financial crisis and coming out on the other side. And I think for our listeners that are out there, that's something that you really want to have is somebody that has actually experienced a downturn. With the economic expansion of the last 10 years, that's not a given. So I think from my perspective, that's one of the things that we think about is that there's more likely to be more names that default lower recoveries. Certainly there will be managers that benefit from that and do well in that environment. And there's managers that may not do as well. Excellent. Brad, always a pleasure. Thanks for joining us today and we'll see you again soon. Thanks for your time, David. Thank you for joining us today on JP Morgan Center for Investment Excellence. CFA Institute members are encouraged to self-document their continuing professional development activities in their online CE tracker. If you found our insights useful, you can find more episodes on iTunes and on our website. Recorded on July 11, 2019. For the purposes of MIFID II, the JPM Market Insights and Portfolio Insights programs are marketing communications and are not in scope for any MIFID II MIFIR requirements specifically related to investment research. Furthermore, the J.P. Morgan Asset Management Market Insights and Portfolio Insights programs, as non-independent research, have not been prepared in accordance with legal requirements designed to promote the independence of investment research, nor are they subject to any prohibition on dealing ahead of the dissemination of investment research. This content is a general communication being provided for informational purposes only. It is educational in nature and not designed to be taken as advice or a recommendation for any specific investment product, strategy, plan feature, or other purpose in any jurisdiction, nor is it a commitment from J.P. Morgan Asset Management or any of its subsidiaries to participate in any of the transactions mentioned herein. Any examples used are generic, hypothetical, and for illustration purposes only. This material does not contain sufficient information to support an investment decision, and it should not be relied upon by you in evaluating the merits of investing in any securities or products. In addition, Users should make an independent assessment of the legal, regulatory, tax, credit, and accounting implications and determine, together with their own professional advisors, if any investment mentioned herein is believed to be suitable to their personal goals. Investors should ensure that they obtain all available relevant information before making any investment. Any forecasts, figures, opinions, or investment techniques and strategies set out are for information purposes only, based on certain assumptions and current market conditions and are subject to change without prior notice. All information presented herein is considered to be accurate at the time of production, but no warranty of accuracy is given and no liability in respect of any error or omission is accepted. It should be noted that investment involves risks. The value of investments and the income from them may fluctuate in accordance with market conditions and taxation agreements, and investors may not get back the full amount invested. Both past performance and yields are not reliable indicators of current and future results. J.P. Morgan Asset Management is the brand for the asset management business of J.P. Morgan Chasing Company and its affiliates worldwide. To the extent permitted by applicable law, we may record telephone calls and monitor electronic communications to comply with our legal and regulatory obligations and internal policies. Personal data will be collected, stored, and processed by J.P. Morgan Asset Management in accordance with our company's privacy policy. For further information regarding our regional privacy policies, please refer to the MEA Privacy Policy. For locational Asia-Pacific privacy policies, please click on the respective links. Hong Kong Privacy Policy, Australia Privacy Policy, Taiwan Privacy Policy, Japan Privacy Policy, and Singapore Privacy Policy. 
This communication is issued by the following entities. In the United Kingdom by J.P. Morgan Asset Management UK Limited, which is authorized and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority. In other European jurisdictions by J.P. Morgan Asset Management Europe, SARL. In Hong Kong by J.F. Asset Management Limited, or J.P. Morgan Funds Asia Limited, or J.P. Morgan Asset Management Real Assets Asia Limited. In Singapore by J.P. Morgan Asset Management Singapore Limited, Co-Reg Number 197601586K, or J.P. Morgan Asset Management Real Assets Singapore Private Limited, Co-Reg Number 201120355E. In Taiwan by J.P. Morgan Asset Management Taiwan Limited. In Japan by J.P. Morgan Asset Management Japan Limited, which is a member of the Investment Trusts Association, Japan. The Japan Investments Advisors Association, Type II Financial Instruments Firms Association, and the Japan Securities Dealers Association, and is regulated by the Financial Services Agency, Registration Number Kanto Local Finance Bureau, Financial Instruments Firm Number 330. In Australia, to wholesale clients only as defined in Section 761A and 761G of the Corporations Act 2001, CTH, by J.P. Morgan Asset Management Australia Limited. ABN 5514383280, AFSL 376919, in Brazil by Banco J.P. Morgan S.A., in Canada for institutional clients' use only by J.P. Morgan Asset Management Canada Incorporated, and in the United States by J.P. Morgan Distribution Services Incorporated and J.P. Morgan Institutional Investments Incorporated, both members of Finra and J.P. Morgan Investment Management Incorporated. In APAC, distribution is for Hong Kong, Taiwan, Japan, and Singapore. For all other countries in APAC, to intended recipients only. Copyright 2019, J.P. Morgan Chasing Company. All rights reserved.